If you love Snapped, Women Who Murder, you're going to love listening to true crime or mystery titles on Audible. The audio title I'm diving into again is one of my favorites to revisit, Mindhunter by John Douglas and Mark Ulshaker. Even if you think you know the details of the cases, former FBI unit chief John Douglas took on from documentaries or the scripted show, the audio title goes above and beyond in bringing you along with him in his career, trying to catch serial killers and serial perpetrators. He used psychological profiling to dive into the minds of notorious criminals. The title includes his hunt for a killer in Alaska, the Green River Killer, and so much more. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. It is the home of storytelling after all. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. That's audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Hi, Snap listeners. We're bringing you a special bonus episode today from Oxygen's hit series, Killer Siblings, returning with all new episodes tomorrow, Friday, December 3rd at 8, 7 central. You can also watch full episodes live or on demand on the free Oxygen app by clicking the link in our description. Enjoy. The explosion itself had almost completely destroyed the home. One of the neighbors said it felt like an earthquake. Who would want to mail a bomb to a 19-year-old kid named George Kerr? George started to hang out with Raymond Sheely and Doug Gustafson. Their interesting guns brought them together. Just disaffected and wild, feral teenagers. They can't be surprised that someone died as a result of that gunshot. I usually wouldn't rat out my friend. Doug's older sister, Peggy, was firmly convinced that Doug was innocent. The people with the best motive also had the best alibi. How could he even think that he could talk his sister into doing this? And she did it. Kugiak is a rural community located approximately 15 miles out of Anchorage. A relatively safe area. No one was prepared for what happened that day. A neighbor hears the explosion, calls the Chugiak Volunteer Fire Department. They don't know what's happened. Initially, they thought it was a natural gas explosion. I just heard a loud explosion and it rocked her house. And then a couple minutes later, my five-year-old had looked out the window and saw some smoke. The explosion itself had almost completely destroyed the home. There's debris everywhere. 
When first responders arrived, neighbors quickly pointed them to the home of 44-year-old David Kerr and his 34-year-old wife, Michelle. They were both pillars of the community, and neighbors feared they were in that house when it blew up. The emergency responders are calling out, is there anybody home? Is there anybody here? Unfortunately, David Kerr was killed by the explosion. Michelle Kerr, amazingly, never lost consciousness. So she hears them yelling. She manages to physically sit up out of all this rubble that she's covered with. She has a, a piece of the door jam sticking out of her body cavity. She's got all this blown-in insulation stuck to her. She tells the emergency responders it was a package that had exploded. When they realized that this was a murder by a mail bomb, it was a federal case. And that's when the postal inspectors got involved. I arrived on scene. There was considerable damage exterior to the house. The front window had been blown out. One of the neighbors described the, uh, the blast as it felt like an earthquake. The male victim, David Kerr, was uh, blown back across the kitchen, away from the counter where he had opened the device. He was pretty well mangled from the blast. The explosive fire had changed the shape of his face, so he looked like he'd been windswept or sandblasted. I assigned one of my team members to go with the body to the coroners for an autopsy and collect evidence from the body. We started setting up for major recovery of evidence on the scene. They bring Michelle to Alaska Regional Hospital here in Anchorage and immediately start working on her. She has between 2,000 and 3,000 individual projectiles, pieces of metal, glass, ceramics, wood, driven into her body and into her face at, at supersonic speed. They're working on her frantically, trying to, to save her life. The Anchorage Police Department responds to the hospital, and an officer put a little cassette recorder next to her head to ask Michelle questions which everybody expected to be a dying declaration. Michelle, there's some police officers here. Just repeat what you think happened. Well, we got a package for George from the state of Alaska. The female victim revealed that the parcel uh, was addressed to her stepson, uh, George Kerr. Who would want to mail a bomb to an 18, 19-year-old kid named George Kerr. George Kerr was born March 2nd, 1972. He grew up in the rural town of Sugiak, small suburb of Anchorage, Alaska. In Alaska at that time, you have this pipeline boom. Suddenly, all this new money starts coming into Anchorage. Sort of peters out in the 90s, and you get this generation of what I call them, bad seeds just disaffected and wild, just lost kids. I've known George Kerr since elementary school. George lived right up the road from me. We were good friends growing up. We worked at JD's Barbecue Pit together. How I come to meet George, he worked for my big brother. We owned barbecue restaurants in the state. We would hire high school kids to help us run them during the summer times and stuff. George seemed to be, you know, just a regular kid there. You know, he done well in school, as far as I know. His dad was uh, a real good guy. But somewhere along the line there, George got to thinking he wanted to be a tough guy. 
About that time, George started to hang out with Chukiak's uh, resident bad boy, Raymond Cheeley. Raymond Cheeley, a social person. Most of his friends called him R.D. I've known R.D. Cheeley since uh, eighth grade. We started wrestling together in the same wrestling team. Then he started driving us to junior high because he had a license before, you know, most kids can get licenses. Raymond Cheeley was well known in the community as being kind of a feral teenager. His parents got him his own apartment because getting to and from his house was pretty iffy in the winter sometimes. Raymond Cheeley had quite the entourage at Shugiak High School, including Douglas Gustafson. Doug was very awkward. He had no self-esteem, I don't think, at all. He was called the lizard by a lot of people, so that's, that in itself is, that says a lot, I think. He was RD's friend, and a lot of people would be like, why'd you bring him, you know, why is, why is he here? Their interesting guns brought them together. Doug was smart, but Doug also had some weird quirks, like his reading was the anarchist cookbook. I mean, who reads that? He was fascinated with firearms, fascinated with explosives, would make statements like his goal was to become an assassin. He was really sort of an oddball and was viewed that way, even by these other kids that were part of this group of uh, miscreants. Doug's parents were devout Jehovah's Witnesses, but they weren't devout parents. Peggy Gustafson, she's eight or nine years older than him. Their parents both worked full time. And so Doug's older sister, in effect, became the caregiver for Douglas uh, after school. Peggy Gustafson was like so many Alaska women. Uh, she was a caring woman and cared about her family. Peggy was kind of the older sister that never got in trouble and was trying to keep her younger brother, Doug, out of trouble. So they were particularly close. They had a very close connection as siblings. Um, their other sibling, Craig Gustafson, who was the middle child between Peggy and Doug, not so much. Craig was a, was a hardworking guy. He was a mechanic, but he had other jobs. Um, he kind of went on, on his own path. Doug and Craig were not very close. Aside from Peggy, Doug was pretty much a loner. Nineteen ninety, the year that Doug, Raymond, and George graduated high school with absolutely no plans for the future. The three teens post graduation spent most of the time hanging out at JD's barbecue pit where George Kerr was employed. They got to talking to some of the Hell's Angels and different guys that hung around our barbecue restaurant. They seen some things, right, right, that might have appealed to them. Hey, I want to be like that too. With this little group, they started committing, you know, acts of mayhem out in the Eagle River and Chugiak area. Acts of vandalism, burglaries, for lack of a better term, they were bad kids. You get those three together and they're thinking, okay, how can we steal? How can we make money? How can we do this, this? They were bad news together, those three. Raymond, he was the brains behind all of it. They were out burglarizing stuff. The most noteworthy of the unlawful activities was the burglary of Mike's Meats. George Kerr, Gustafson, and Sheely. Thought it'd be a swell idea. Let's rob the joint. 
In the middle of the night, they break into Mike's meat through the back door and make off with the entire safe. There was a substantial amount of funds in the safe. They obtained approximately $20,000 from Mike's meats. They immediately took that cash and they went out and purchased uh, some high-end firearms the day after the burglary. An AR-15, a semi-automatic Uzi, and an HK-91. Doug Gustafson bought an HK-91. That's a sniper rifle. Doug always wanted to be a sniper. The next day, on October 19th, 1990, all three of them had been out firing these weapons out at a gravel pit. They had just finished up doing that and got into their car. Raymond Sheely, who's the driver, Douglas Gustafson, who's the front seat passenger, and George Kerr, who's a passenger in the rear seat. They're driving to Anchorage, and the intention was is that they were going to party. They were going to have a good time, again, using the proceeds of this uh, meat market burglary. Douglas Gustafson has in his lap a HK-91. Doug is shooting at signs on the sides of the road. And uh, this little red sports car came around them. The other vehicle crossed in front of the Chile, Gustafson, and Kerr vehicle and is exiting on an off-ramp. R.D. accused him of cutting him off. Doug decided he ought to teach him a lesson. Raymond Cheeley accelerates the car and lines up Doug Gustafson to fire a shot. Doug Gustafson takes that sniper rifle, leans out the passenger side window, aims it at the rear window of the car in front of him, and fires. He comes back in the vehicle and says, I missed him. Um, he didn't miss him. Sibling love that's gone just totally awry. His sister Peggy was convinced that George Kerr was the one who fired the shot. They want revenge. September 17, 1991, 44-year-old David Kerr opens the package addressed to his son George and is killed instantly. So the question is, who would have a motive to want to harm or kill George Kerr? George had a reputation of uh, being involved in, in uh, some unlawful activities with some of his friends, Doug Gustafson and R.D. Cheeley. One night, Doug Gustafson leans out the window, aims at the other vehicle, and fires one round. He comes back in the vehicle and says, I missed him. Um, he didn't miss him. That round that he fired went right through the back window, and it hits the front seat passenger, Jeffrey Kane, right in the head and kills him instantly. Driver pulled off, stopped, looked over at his buddy, and his buddy was dead. We pull into the parking lot, and there's Robbie's car with a blanket or something over the window. Of course, they wouldn't let me uh, <clears throat> get within uh, 50 yards of it. They had all cornered off. But I could see Jeffrey still sitting on it. And... Jeffrey Kane went to Chugiak High School like we did. 
seemed to be a nice kid, man. He didn't deserve what he got, that's for sure. He was just full of life and joy. In fact, the night that he died, he came upstairs and he was going to go out with Robbie. And I said, you need some money? Nah, I got $5. And he looked at me and he said, Ma, I really love you. And I go, oh, yeah, 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 everybody loves me. You want some more money? And he said, no, but I really love you. And off he went that night. And that was the last things he told me. Chile and Doug Gustafson and George Kerr continued on into Anchorage. Uh, they, they go to a local motel. They call some young women, and, uh, and they have a party. Um, they drink, they smoke some weed, and then they finally go to sleep. At that point, they didn't know that Doug Gustafson killed Jeffrey Kane. The next morning, George Kerr's walking into his house. He sees on the doorstep the Anchorage Daily News. He realizes instantly that, holy smokes, that was us. I don't believe Doug aimed that gun to kill anybody. And I don't believe our deep, he might have said shoot, but I do not believe that that bullet was meant to kill Jeffrey Kane. Is it an accident that Jeffrey Kane is killed instantly by the shot from that sniper rifle? Why have a sniper rifle if you don't intend to be a sniper? They can't be surprised that someone died as a result of that gunshot. It's on all the TVs about this kid getting killed that night. R.D. and Doug are trying to get rid of all the evidence. They're trying to do whatever they can to cover up. So that's the time the gun disappeared. But George is starting to get the cold feet. He agonizes for uh, much of the day about what to do. George, he even went to those guys and he said, we got to turn ourselves in. They were the ones that said, no, no, no. It was just one of them clean crimes that nobody would have ever figured out. George Kerr, he thinks about it, he thinks about it. He finally talks to his, his boss, who owned the restaurant he worked for. And George was real close to him. Tells my big brother what happened. Phelps tells him, you have to do the right thing here. You got to go to the police, George. So he does. They uh, arrange for him to go down to the Anchorage Police Department. He meets with homicide detectives, and George agrees to cooperate at that point. These guys are friends, OK friends, I would say. I mean, and I usually wouldn't rat out my friends, but this is just so severe, I got to do it. Ultimately, George uh, recognized that uh, this was a very, very serious matter, obviously very much more serious than anything these kids had ever done before. George tells the police, Doug Gustafson leans out the window, aims, and fires one round. Did he actually aim it like a rifle? Uh, it was really quick. I don't know. I was sitting in the back, and I was telling him, you don't want to do that. I still didn't think he'd do it. In any case in which you have somebody coming in and telling you a story about somebody else committed a crime, you have to get some kind of corroborating evidence, some reason to believe this person is credible. What George has to do is get Raymond Sheely and Doug Gustafson to talk about the shooting directly to him to get it on tape. And there is your evidence. That's when they wired Kerr up and had him talk to Gustafson in Chile.
Doug Gustafson leaned out the window with that sniper rifle, and he killed Jeffrey Kane. And George Kerr, who's in the back seat, saw it all. If George Kerr keeps his mouth shut, he's an accessory to this crime. And I think that was probably most of the motivation for George to go and uh, report this to the police. So the police, based on what George Kerr told them, went and obtained a warrant. That's when they wired Kerr up and had him talk to Gustafson in Chile. I've worked a lot of cases where you have cooperating witnesses wired up, and that's always pretty, pretty intense. George uh, goes out and meets with Doug Gustafson, and they talk about the shooting that had occurred the night before. And George says to Doug on that recording, he says, Doug, why did you have to kill that guy? And Doug responds, I didn't mean to, George. That's all they needed. It was an admission from Doug Gustafson that he had pulled the trigger and fired the shot that, uh, that murdered Jeffrey King. George also um, is wired up and has conversations with Chile. Chile is much more circumspect in his responses to George Kerr's prompting questions. Um, so they don't obtain a smoking gun admission like they did from Doug Gustafson, but ultimately they obtained enough that they felt that they were ready to charge Raymond Chile. Doug got arrested first, and then R.D. got arrested. Gustafson and Cheeley, they're charged with, uh, with murder for killing Jeffrey Kane. George's decision to cooperate um, leads to a decision for him not to be charged by the state of Alaska for any exposure he might have had for the Jeffrey Kane murder. That greatly upset Doug's older sister, Peggy. As siblings, they're very close. Peggy was firmly convinced that Doug was innocent of the Jeffrey Kane homicide. It was two or three days after my son was killed that the district attorney called the house and he said, I believe we've got the people that, uh, that killed your son. And I said, that's good news. But you better get a conviction because if they get on the street, I'll take care of the problem myself. As a SNAP listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every case I learn about, I'm reminded how much I want to prioritize my vigilance and preparation. That's why I use and recommend Simply Safe Home Security. My cameras have alerted me about trespassers and even given me a sense of security knowing my home is safe even when I'm not there. Simply Safe offers protection for the whole house with advanced sensors that not only detect break-ins, but fires, floods, and other threats to your home and getting you the help you need for each scenario. The indoor security cameras offer privacy shutters to ensure physical privacy when you want it. Plus, you can try Simply Safe for 60 days risk-free. If you don't love it, return your system for a full refund. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/snapped. That's simplysafe.com/snapped. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. 
Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The turnaround from the arrest to the trial is remarkable. Today, you'd be lucky to get a case like that to trial in a year and a half, much less four or five months. The Jeffrey Kane murder trials had been high profile. Everybody in town, you know, uh, was aware of what had happened, and we're following the media coverage. Gustafson and Chile's trials were severed, so they had two trials. Gustafson went first. His trial was in early March of 1991. George Kerr, of course, is the main witness for the state of Alaska. Obviously, his testimony is the key component. It wasn't like an aim thing. It was just pointed in the general direction of the car. Prosecutors sought the conviction of both Chile and Gustafson. The reasoning was that Chile purposely positioned that car so Gustafson could take that shot. If Chile hadn't cooperated fully by positioning the car that way, the murder never would have happened. So Chile is just as guilty of the murder of Jeffrey Kane as Doug Gustafson. 19-year-old Douglas Gustafson and 20-year-old Raymond Chile were tried and convicted for killing Eagle River resident Jeffrey Kane in a drive-by shooting on the Glen Highway. Chile and Gustafson were sentenced to 60 and 65 years in prison, respectively. Peggy Gustafson genuinely believed her brother, Doug Gustafson, wasn't the shooter. I think she really believed he was innocent and that George Kerr was lying. In fact, she was convinced for whatever reason that George Kerr was probably the one who fired the shot at Jeffrey Kane. Peggy was in total denial that her baby brother, the one she'd raised all of his life, could be guilty of such a heinous crime. She was sure someone else must have pulled the trigger. Following the trials in March of 1991, George is still here in the community. He ceases to be part of the, the Chile crowd because those kids don't want to have anything to do with him. He decides at some point that he's going to join the Navy. Um, so in September of 1991, early September, George departs the state to join the Navy. Dave Kerr picks up a package from the post office, and it's for George, and he takes it home. His wife, Michelle, is in the kitchen just down the hall. David Kerr opens the package. He's killed instantly. They're processing the remains of David Kerr uh, in an autopsy at the, uh, the state crime lab. A number of things were collected from the body. One of the key things we found was forensics were able to recover chemical traces of MMAN. And the reason that was important is because MMAN is added to an explosive called Tovex. It's a high explosive that is frequently used in things like mining and logging. But the single most important piece of physical evidence was a piece of the microswitch that was used to set off the explosive. This little piece that's recovered from David Kerr's body cavity is part of a roller switch. And this is typically something that is used to complete an electrical circuit. So 
As long as the switch is closed, the circuit isn't complete with the wiring that goes between that switch. So that when David cut the tape on the box and lifted the flap, it completed the circuit into the Tovex and detonated the explosives. It was only by a miracle that Michelle Kerr survived. Later, investigators were able to talk to her. Well, we got a package for George from the state of Alaska. I know it's from Doug. How do you know that it was from Doug, Michelle? Because George put him in jail. So you start connecting those dots, it became pretty clear that Doug, that she was referring to, was Doug Gustafson. But the people with the best motive also had the best uh, alibi. They were incarcerated. I know it's from Doug. How do you know that it was from Doug, Michelle? Because George put him in jail. The problem the investigators have with the theory that Doug Gustafson and Raymond Cheely are involved is how could they do this from prison? How would they have the technical know-how to design an explosive device? Where would they get the components from? They didn't have access to a post office in prison. So that presented a big challenge to the investigators. But then they finally got a break. On the heels of the explosion, there are prisoners over at the prison where Raymond Chile is housed and where Douglas Gustafson had earlier been housed. They have a couple of prisoners tell us that they actually saw a written hit list that Raymond Chile had prepared of people that he wanted to kill. He primarily centered on those involved in his conviction. On that list was the judge, the prosecutors, and the witnesses. And at the top of the list, George Kerr. Sheely and Doug Gustafson are really angry with Kerr. Angry with him because he was in on the initial horrible event. Angry with him because he didn't turn state's evidence. And maybe angry because he might have been lying. Who knows? And so they want revenge. They were able to pass notes in jailhouse lingo. They call them kites. They would utilize the assistance of other prisoners, like, hey, can you give this to Doug over in the other jail cell? They were also able to coordinate a specific time and day to call the Chile house. They have two separate phone lines that come into that home, and that someone out there was taking the phones and literally turning mouthpiece to earpiece, and they were able to talk to each other over the telephone that way. So these hurdles, like how could these guys do this from prison, it's becoming increasingly clear that it's really not that difficult. Now investigators have to deal with the issue of these guys are in custody. It's probably next to impossible that they constructed this bomb themselves in a correctional facility and mailed it to George Kerr, so someone had to help them. The investigators start looking at all the people that were close to Gustafson and Chile, they find out about who these people have been talking to and what they've been talking to them about, their family, friends. 
Doug Gustafson has a, an older sister and an older brother, Peggy and Craig, who are living in the area. So we determined that we need to know a little more about those people. So we decided to review the prison tapes, trying to find anything of evidentiary value. How you doing? Oh, God, I, I'm so glad you called. Doug has many conversations with his sister, Peggy, before the bomb went off. And all these phones are monitored here big time. Yeah, and if these phones are monitored... Oh, yeah. By Thanksgiving, we're all in the Anchorage Police Department listening to tapes. It seemed like it was endless. There were some bleak times, for sure. One of the uh, prison tapes that we listened to, Peggy relates to Doug that she has a dream. I dreamed I saw gorgeous hitchhiking. Oh. And I looked around, I didn't see anybody, and I hit him. <laughs> I sent that puppy flying out of my car, and I looked, and he was still alive. Uh -huh. And I broke his neck. <laughs> I hope you took the car to the car wash afterwards. Peggy's involved in, uh, in the hatred of George. She's of the same mind he is in getting even with George. We all have headphones on, and we're all listening to recordings of these things. And Glenn Porter says, boys, I think I found something. And now this is to fix your car, remember? Doug Gustafson speaking with Peggy in a code. The more we listened to it, the more plain it became that they weren't talking about a car. Uh, they were talking about a mail bomb. As soon as you find out which way is on, which way is off on the sliding one, uh -huh. glue it in place, like I described, right below the surface, uh -huh. so that when it's pushed towards the side, it's on. And when it's pushed towards the center, it's on. Right. OK. What it sounds to me like is, is uh, a triggering device for a bomb. She burns up some switches and batteries trying to make the device work. He tells her in one conversation that, you know, to get certain switches from Radio Shack. This piece of metal that came from the body that was part of a switch was examined back in the, in, in the lab, was identified as being um, sold by Radio Shack. Well, I first did it positive, separate, and negative, separate. Uh -huh. That's how I tried this. Yesterday, I was about ready to pull my hair out. You wouldn't believe how stupid I am when it comes to figuring out my car schematics. Is there a book I can buy? A book? I don't think you'd be smart to go out and buy a book on that type thing. Douglas is becoming frustrated with Peggy about her inability to wire up whatever she's wiring up. See, the problem is I like to get things worked out, but I can't over here, you know? Anyhow, did her brains have any help? Yep. Okay, did he get everything straightened out with you? Yes. Good. We determined through interviews and contacts that for brains is their brother Craig, the middle child, who happens to be a mechanic and understands elect electrical wiring. It was a eureka moment. Peggy Gustafson had talked to Douglas Gustafson about assembling what the investigators believed to be an explosive device and strongly suspected their brother, Craig Gustafson, assembled that device. It was a eureka moment. That caused them to focus even more on uh, the Gustafson siblings. Craig was perceived to be the black sheep of the family. 
He wasn't necessarily estranged from them, but Craig was not necessarily close to Peggy or Doug. So we start focusing on Craig, who appears to be sort of a weak link here. Really what we needed was evidence. We had an idea of how the events occurred and uh, what transpired. But without evidence, you don't have anything that you can go to trial on. And one of our inspectors on the team had built a little rapport with Craig and had gained some trust with him. Craig is contacted. Initially, he's not cooperative with the investigators. Craig wasn't necessarily hostile to the investigators, but he certainly wasn't, you know, forthcoming. So they had had this continuing contact with him, which was increasingly becoming more frequent, a little more friendly. It increasingly becomes clear that Craig was very troubled by the fact that David Kerr had been murdered as a result of this explosive device. And then finally, Craig decides to pick up the phone and he wants to talk. On March 12, 1992, to the surprise of many, Greg Gustafson calls postal inspectors so that he could confess to the crime. Craig Gustafson told the investigators that he was involved in making the bomb, and his sister Peggy was involved in making and mailing the bomb, and they did so at the direction of their brother Doug from prison. Doug Gustafson and Raymond Cheeley had been involved in this bombing plot. Doug had asked Peggy to build this explosive device, that she was able to get the components, but she's having difficulty assembling the device. Craig had been over at Peggy's, observed her attempting to put the device together, and was concerned for her safety, because Peggy's about nine months pregnant. So Craig tells her, I will put that device together for you. I don't want you to blow yourself and the children up. Craig takes all the components, assembles the device, and gives it to Peggy. Peggy, in one of the great lapses of judgment in human history, drives to the post office with her daughter in the car over a bumpy road and a bomb in the back seat. And for less than $3, Peggy mails the bomb to the home of George Kerr. And think of all of the postal workers, the truck drivers, everybody else that came in contact with that package could have been killed in a heartbeat. When Craig decides to, to give them this information, it's huge because it corroborates exactly what they thought had happened. We decided to not take him into custody right away. Without Craig Gustafson, the case goes away. We needed him to testify. We needed to ask him more questions to get more things to corroborate. We need him to make our case. And if we arrest him and lock him up, our ability to talk to him is over, except through his lawyer. Because of Craig's cooperation, we had the the probable cause for search warrants. We did search Peggy's residence, uh, her parents. We found nothing distinctive. R.D. Chile, his parents live out by Lake Eklutna, which is a, a rather remote area. Uh, they have a, a considerable acreage. And so they've got a number of law enforcement officers that had to cover that entire property. 
to try and find if there is some location where these bomb components have been stored. One of the outbuildings on the property was indeed where these things uh, had been housed. We also find a lot of abandoned cars on the premises, which had evidence of explosive damage. Doug was a bookworm, so he learned it out of Soldier of Fortune magazines about building pipe bombs. And so we'd build these bombs, man, and go out and blow trees up. You know, we'd go to the creeks, man, and throw pipe bombs down and blow up salmon. Clearly, this is something they had been interested in, and that it wasn't something like they were starting from scratch on this. They had the technical know-how, the understanding of how to build an explosive device. The investigators had enough evidence that they could be satisfied that they had the right people and put it together for a case. The investigators know that, indeed, they have a conspiracy involving four people, Raymond Sheely and Douglas Gustafson, who were able to form this bomb plot. They know that Peggy Gustafson is involved in assembling and ultimately mailing the device. They know that Craig Gustafson, in fact, built this device. Craig Gustafson's confession was the turning point that pretty much set in motion getting charges filed against the whole family. Chile was arrested this morning at Cook Inlet pretrial. Gustafson was arrested at Spring Creek and Seward. Peggy Gustafson Barnett was arrested at her Anchorage home this morning. Count one of the complaints charges each of these defendants with mailing explosives with the intent to kill. Count two charges each defendant with the use of a destructive device during and in relation to a crime of violence. Craig Gustafson has also been charged in the federal complaint, but he has disappeared. On March 29th, a couple weeks after his confession, Craig Gustafson surprises us again by disappearing. The investigators try and get a hold of Craig Gustafson, and they can't find him. His girlfriend says he left. She doesn't know where he is. Craig Gustafson is still at large. We do have a warrant for his arrest. Uh, we are looking for him. One of the best pieces of evidence in a conspiracy is getting one of the conspirators to talk to you and fess up. Without Craig Gustafson, the case goes away. We needed him to testify. Officials are offering a $10,000 reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of Craig Gustafson. He's maintaining contact, you know, with his girlfriend. He would call her from time to time from a payphone, but it was several weeks. We did obtain a tap on his girlfriend's telephone, and she agreed to cooperate with us in order to keep him from getting injured or, or hurt. He makes a call from a payphone on um, April the 18th. His girlfriend is able to keep him on the line during that particular phone call long enough that they're able to trace the call. They determine it's coming from this payphone at the Roosevelt Hotel in the Los Angeles area. On the phone call, Craig tells his girlfriend, they will never catch me, at which time we hear, you're under arrest, freeze. And he drops the phone. So now, by April 18th, all of these folks, Raymond Cheeley, Douglas Gustafson, Peggy Gustafson, and Craig Gustafson are in federal custody. All these individuals were ultimately indicted by the federal grand jury uh, here in Anchorage for their involvement in the mail bombing murder of David Kerr. Craig Gustafson decided to plead guilty relatively early on. As we say in the US Attorney's Office, he joined America's team. 
entered a plea agreement under which he agreed to plead to certain crimes, and part of his deal was he would cooperate with the government and testify. Peggy made a number of admissions at that point. Peggy said, we didn't intend to kill anybody. This whole thing was just meant to scare George Kerr into telling the truth, because she's got a very strong belief that Doug has been wrongfully convicted for murdering Jeffrey Kane. Peggy was desperate to help her brother. To a large extent, she was a victim, too. You know, she was a victim of the uh, quicksand that she got drawn into, you know, because of her brother. Peggy ultimately pled guilty to her participation in the bombing and agreed to cooperate. However, there is a twist. Doug agrees to plead guilty. It's conditional upon Peggy receiving leniency in her sentencing. This is sibling love, sibling love that's gone just totally awry. How could he even think that he could talk his sister into doing this? And she did it. Peggy wound up getting roughly 28 years. Craig, he was sentenced to about 22 years. Raymond Sheely was convicted of conspiracy, of mailing an explosive device causing death, which carries a maximum sentence of life in prison without possibility of parole. Doug Gustafson gets the same sentence as Sheely, life without uh, possibility of parole. These guys are, in fact, they're gonna die in, in custody, unfortunately for the, for the Gustafson parents. All three of their children are convicted murderers. Unusual case, to say the least. People reached out from prison and used their own family to kill an innocent people. It's astonishing. You know, the most memorable thing for me is uh, Michelle Kerr, quite frankly. Michelle uh, testified at trial. She was a strong witness. And so just having to go through and tell the story, you know, it's extremely tough because it brings all of those emotions and all those feelings uh, back. That's about as strong of an individual as you're ever gonna encounter. Surviving mail bomb victim Michelle Kerr sued the Alaska Department of Corrections for negligence. She was awarded an $11.8 million judgment. Dave Kerr was the salt of the earth. Great guy, should've never happened to him. Me and George are still friends to this day, so, you know. He's got to live with a lot, a lot of things in his life that are pretty, pretty rough to deal with. I think it, it weighs on him. It took a toll on a lot of families, you know. We think of Jeffrey all the time. He still has a bedroom. So I have his coat still hanging in the closet with his name tag on it. So, um, you know, even the grandkids say, oh, it's Jeffrey's room. And they're all old now, but they know it's Jeffrey's room. You know, he was alive once, you know, so let's keep him in our hearts. For more information, go to oxygen.com. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued 
by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.